Hey guys, and welcome back to another Get Your Comic On podcast. Today we are going to be talking about episode 2 of Doom Patrol Season 1, which is called Donkey Patrol. For those of you who might not have listened before, my name is Neil. Hello, nice to meet you. Hello, my name is Martin. Also nice to meet you. Today we're going to be talking about episode 2 of Doom Patrol, which is called Donkey Patrol. Have a quick listen to the trailer, and then we will get down to some chat. Oh my god. It's Cloverton. It's all in your head. It's all in your head. I still think you control this story, don't you? You've slipped through my fingers for the last time. The synopsis for this episode reads, Following Mr. Nobody's capture of the Chief, the Doom Patrol investigate the mysterious albino donkey and discover it's a door to another universe where Mr. Nobody is in control. I gave this episode a 9 out of 10 in my written review. I said Donkey Patrol is an excellent follow-up to the pilot, filled with great character moments as well as an absolutely bonkers story. This is off-the-wall comic book TV at its absolute finest. Your initial thoughts on this episode? I, again, would agree. 9 out of 10 is quite high. Yeah, I'm slightly worried that if this show gets any better, I'm going to run out of numbers. You think you will? Um, it was a good follow-up to the pilot, so the pilot gave us the nice sort of piloty backstory, um, whereas this sort of really ran with that and it took it to a really weird, crazy place. Starting crazy off, doesn't really begin to cover it, does it, with this one? Well, it's got a talking cockroach, really, so... Yeah, so Talking Cockroach is not a comic book character. Talking Cockroach is an invention of Jeremy Carver, who's the executive producer on the show. He said in an interview that he'd always wanted to introduce a uh, like apocalypse prophetic cockroach into one of his TV shows but it didn't feel like the right thing to do in Supernatural or uh, there was another show that I read about that he worked on um, and he felt that this was the right place to do it. I suppose you need to have a very set niche environment to have a talking apocalyptic cockroach really. You do but at least it set the tone for the episode when he got thrust into that hole in the road. Yeah, and surely he'll come back because everybody got thrust back. He did, so the talking cockroach could be back. There was a lot that happened in this one. This was a pretty fast-paced episode again, I thought. We get the introduction of Cyborg, we get a hell of a lot more of Crazy Jane's personalities, then you get to go inside the donkey, there's a bit of Mr. Nobody. Not very much of Niles Calder in this episode, though. No, he's a bit MIA, but I suppose we're building up to that, really, aren't we? What I thought this episode would have done, which it didn't, was give a backstory to Crazy Jane. And you do get a bit, but you don't get the whole thing. I thought there would have been flashbacks to, like, the 70s, which is when she said she met Niles Calder, uh, to have shown some of that to follow in line with what we saw of each of the others in the last episode, but we didn't. But we got a little bit more of Crazy Jane, though, didn't we? Because the last episode, when we got to see a couple personalities, this one... Yeah, there's a lot more in We this got one. to see a hell of a lot more. We learned about the underground... Yeah, which is then the map on the wall of all the different personalities. So it looks like some of them are connected and some of them aren't. So like some of them may only follow others to be able to come out. I didn't quite... I need to screenshot it and have a look at it to see who goes where. But there were obviously 64 of them on there. But it it seems like some of them can't talk to each other. 
Yeah, and it's this whole thing about Katie, how she doesn't talk to anybody else. And... She was an interesting character. She was a bit Phoenix-like, I thought. A bit hot-headed. <laughs> now, well, you can say that, though, but she's not the one that's got the sun for a head. Because there is one that is in Grant Morrison's run of the comics that has a sun for a head, which you saw in the pilot really briefly. Remember out in the street, she turned into a giant with a sun head? Oh, yeah. Only briefly. Which was your favourite of the ones we saw in this one? So you had Baby Doll, Baby Doll, Katie. There was a bit more Hammerhead. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure of all of their names, but there were a few different ones. There was one with a really creepy Exorcist voice, the one that just kept saying, "In his arms, in his arms." It was uncanny. It was almost like she was in the room with me. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, I, I was quite impressed with just the way that she was able to act all of those characters seamlessly. Yes, so that was very impressive. So Diane Guerrero, um, who I don't think I know from much else, does an amazing job in this episode because in the space of one scene when she goes through four or five different personalities, they completely change. All of her mannerisms just completely change and it is like they're different people. She's the voice of Jessica Cruz in the upcoming Justice League vs. Fatal Five movie as well, which is out next month. Orange is the New Black? Yeah. So she was Maritza Ramos in uh, Orange is the New Black. But again, we only saw the first couple of seasons of that, so I don't know that we have seen anything that she was in. No, and uh, she was a voice actor in Grand Theft Auto V. Have you played... Oh, yeah, you've got that one. Yeah. <laughs> but no, very impressive. Um, well done to her. The other character that gets a lot of focus in this episode is obviously Victor Stone, Cyborg. But again, we don't get a full backstory for him. There is a little flashback to five years ago, and he's already got the Cyborg parts on him we don't get to see in full the explosion or the full story as to what happened with him how do you think he compared to justice league cyborg as this is you know there's only the two live action versions that we've ever seen yeah so i mean it was a bit more sort of angsty teenage cyborg which i quite liked yeah um his origin story is probably i'm going to assume is a bit different because we're not really going down the mother box route are we we're going no so down... this is the this seems like it's going to follow the original uh origin for his character from the new teen titans which is just that uh there is an accident of some kind which here is an explosion in the lab and that his dad saves him through robotic technology not through sort of the the use of a mother box or anything like that. Yeah, so it's an interesting take because that's not what we're probably really used to, really, because we're more geared up towards the. Yeah, I suppose we know him better from later on when he's when it's got the slightly tweaked origin story. So it was an interesting take on the character, really, to see a different side of him and be a bit more teenage angsty, basically, compared to the more serious and dark Justice League version. At the same time, though, this is so. This version is obviously going to be one of the most hopeful characters in the series because you can see when he comes in, particularly from that flashback scene that happens before he kind of comes into it, that he's already working as a hero and has been working as a hero for about five years. He name drops the Justice League as his little aspiration that he wants to train up and become a member of the Justice League. So clearly he's going to be almost what Beast Boy was in the Doom Patrol episode of Titans, which is the member that doesn't quite fit the reclusive, reluctant hero mould. And he's almost going to take in charge, really, isn't he? He did take charge a little bit in this episode, but then nobody seemed to really want to dive into the donkey. Yeah, I don't think anybody would really want to dive into a donkey, really. A really good American accent from Jovian Wade, as well, who, uh, again, I don't think I've seen in anything, but looking at his IMDb... Oh, he was in Doctor Who! He's in two episodes of Doctor Who, Face of the Raven and Flatline. Interesting. Played a character called Riggsy. But he was also in EastEnders for a number of episodes. Yeah, it's just a British actor, isn't it? It's like a rite of passage. 
No, that would be the bill. It's not clearly been. It's been in casualty though. Yeah. So there you go. British rite of passage. For anybody that's listening who's not in the UK, essentially, if you're a British actor, at some point you will either have been in Hollyoaks, a soap opera of some kind, Casualty, or The Bill. So there you go. He's he's done his part. He's allowed to go to America. What do you think about the story of this episode? Um, it's a bit off the wall, but then it kind of fits nicely with the theme of Doom Patrol because it's a bit off the wall and a bit quirky, quirky anyway. Yeah. So you know we've had to dive into a donkey into another realm. Yeah. So. Beginning part of the episode picks up right where the last one left off. Big hole in the street. Bus goes flying into it, so Niles Calder is gone. Crazy Jane jumps in after him. Everyone else is left in the crater, which I thought was really well done. It was really obvious that it was no longer the street that they'd filmed in the real town that they were in, and that it was actually just some remains that were sitting in like a random ditch somewhere. But I thought it looked really cool and I thought it was really well done that it was actually, well the CGI was great, the way it all flew into the hole in the road. But then the they they played well on being able to do use a physical set rather than it being green screen or anything completely odd. Did it look odd to you when it was suddenly in the middle of a pit somewhere and it was just ruins? Or were you still, did it take you out of the scene or were you still in it that it looked convincing? Well, no, cause you could probably argue that because the whole town's been sucked into the hole that that's kind of left over. That's very true. I liked that the population sign also scrolled down to zero from the number of people that lived there as they all disappeared into the hole. The number, you know, the American signs that say like, hi, welcome to Clovertown, Ohio, 8,536 residents or something like that, I think it says. And then it just ticks down to zero as they all disappear into the hole. And then when they come back at the end of the episode, it ticks back up to the full number again. You've got to notice the tiny little details of which there are many important ones which we will discuss in this episode. So obviously that happens, and then we jump straight to the introduction of Cyborg. He's in Detroit. Who else is in Detroit? Well, the Titans, Dick Grayson. Exactly. So for a minute I thought, oh my god, we might actually get to see Robin or something could happen here. So what did you think of the relationship between Cyborg and his dad that we see in this one? Because that comes up as part of the flashback. I liked it. So it was good. I had that angst. I had that dad trying to be over-controlling, Cyborg trying to sort of break away, be his own Cyborg. So his dad was played by Phil Morris, who's a recognisable face, but looking at his IMDb, he's just one of those people that's in everything. I did like him. I thought it was an interesting take on him to be, um, to almost threaten Vic in a way, because he says to him, you know, when he's trying to get him to come home from being with the Doom Patrol, he says to him, basically says to him, if you come home, then I'll upgrade you and I'll make you a god. And it feels like his... The level of control he has over him is a bit more extreme than we've seen previously. Yeah, so he's kind of very, very controlling really, isn't he? Almost slightly menacing and controlling wise. But then you also get to see that in his uh, cyborg operating system he has a... What did he call it? A uh, oh, privacy mode. Privacy right? mode, so he turns him off so that he can't follow him. So what else did we notice about the scene where we're looking at Cyborg's what Cyborg sees with his little screens in front of him. Uh, when he hacked, it, hacked into Argus, he did. He hacked into Argus, which was very exciting. So you got to see the Argus logo, and it was the same logo from Arrow, wasn't it? I think it was. It was very similar. Uh, for those who are not in the know, Argus is obviously a uh, secret kind of government body who are part of the organisation of the Suicide Squad, Task Force X, you've got Amanda Waller, there's plenty of places that that could go, including Cadmus, who we saw at the end of Titan's final episode. What else do we learn about Titan's final episode in this episode? 
Uh, something about a naked man and a dog? Yeah. So on the screen, on Cyborg's operating system, he's flicking through the news when he's, I guess he's kind of looking for what to do next. And it mentions that there's been a crash on basically the highway nearby, the I-94 I think it is. And the headline is that a man who was deemed to have caused the crash says it's not his fault because his car was hit by a running naked man and a dog. Which has got to be a nod to Superboy who's obviously escaped and is now on the run. With crypto. So that kind of could throw off the, uh, the whole theory I was talking about last time in that Titans was set in sort of 2017, 2018, and this is 2019. Depends on how much time has elapsed in Titans Season 1 and how much time since Superboy has escaped that this is. So there's timelines are slightly confused here, I think. I suppose that in the flashback at the very last episode of Titans, we don't really know when that happened anyway, do we? No, it, that wasn't, there wasn't really a time frame on that, so it could actually be that it's a year or so after the whole incident with Trigon. And we don't really know what the time implications of Trigon are either. Are they going to do some like, weird timey-wimey thing where they're in some bubble? Or, I don't know. Are you going off on one now? That could, that's a whole other discussion, isn't it? What yeah. could be happening there? Other standout moments for you in this episode of Doom Patrol? The, the whole scene with the donkey and the black bag and squeezing Rita far into the donkey. Also, uh, I really enjoyed the music when Robot Man was chasing the donkey around the derelict town. That was a really good piece of score. Yeah. Clint Mantle, well done. It was, I just thought it, was really, it just fits the tone of the show perfectly. It was really quirky and really odd. The, but the well, the really odd is just, it's just the thing with this show, isn't it? So... They go back to the mansion, then they decide to scan the donkey to see if it's a door. Get the whole conversation about the donkey as a door, and then that's when they try and squeeze her through, don't they? Yeah, so there's the whole thing about her her and Negative Man are trying to avoid a situation while the whole fight between Robot Man and the James is going on. Yeah, so this episode pairs them off, doesn't it, really? So you do get the the Negative Man-Rita pairing, and then the Crazy Jane-Robot Man pairing with Cyborg kind of on that side of things. But... Rita and Negative Man were very reluctant in this episode. Forgetting the great scene where Negative Man tries to get on a bus and escape, but his inner Negative Man-ness won't let him. Yeah, I quite like that, and that's another bit of a storyline that's kind of bubbling along there. I quite like the connotations really playing, where it feels like there's this monster inside of them. But, yeah, it is. But are we saying that the Negative Man is a monster, or is this sort of repressed sexuality this episode does move all of the characters on quite nicely in that respect so there's a lot to do with negative man in this one so you do get that whole sequence and it is played for laughs at the same time because you've got people saying to him oh you just got hit by a firework and the whole conversation with the woman in the bus station who's just like why are you wrapped in bandages so there is a lot there to his character but it does end on quite a poignant note when he quite symbolically takes off his bandages and we get to see him burnt to a crisp underneath and he leaves that note on the mirror that just says, we need ground rules. As enjoyable as that is, I do think there's quite a lot to the story of Rita in this episode as well. But you don't see it in flashback form. It's what happens to her when they're inside the donkey. Yeah, so Rita had quite a complex storyline as well in this episode, in that we got to see more of her insecurities. So she realised that she was in a sort of weird alternative universe, but she didn't really care because she was the star again. Yeah, and I presume we're trying to say that she had a child at some point that she gave up or did something to because that we focused too heavily on what happened in that particular moment when she saw the like the pushchair yeah and the, and the ominous voice over saying I know what you did yeah so there's there's quite a there's a lot more to her than I think 
meets the eye, and we've seen her be this quite cold, I wouldn't call her calculated, but quite cold character. But actually there's a, there's a couple of little slips where she's a bit more human in this one. And I don't want to call it OCD, but things like, she obviously doesn't like to break out from her routine in some respects, so even when that whole town has disappeared, and everyone has disappeared from it, and the chief is gone, she's just like, oh yeah, I need to go back to the mansion because it's Thursday, and Thursday's trash day. And she does, she just goes and cleans up the house and empties the bins with a melty hand. Yeah, yeah, but then I suppose it's just that for Sandra, isn't it? It's the face that... She True, she's just trying to, to carry on as normal. She doesn't want anyone to see what's really going on behind the scenes. And it fits in quite well with her superpowers, because one minute she's, you know, she's the perfect film yeah. star, and then she's the blob. It's almost like you're saying their superpowers are an allegory for their problems. Yes. Yes, I would. <laughs> it is very cleverly done, and similarly there are scenes with Larry, uh, negative man, inside the the donkey, where he they're trying to convince him to... Well, same day. Mr. Nobody's trying to convince him to pull up the stick on the plane so that the plane doesn't crash. And when he's fighting back against it, he makes him think, well, actually, your wife's in there. But then it's actually, no, it's not your wife. There is also the fact that your lover is in there. I do think there's a lot going on with the characters here. And I actually find it more interesting than what was going on with the characters in Titans. As much as they they all have something in common that they're lo- there's something that they're trying to accept about themselves or something that they're trying to learn to get past with themselves, there's something about this group that I feel I'm able to connect with a bit more than I could with the Titans. Yeah, I suppose they're kind of, it's the way the characters are being presented, really, because you're kind of thinking it's going to be a bit slapstick, when actually it's really sad, and they're True. quite complex. Yeah. Whereas Titans is all serious, serious. I don't think Titans is very complex No. in that respect. Robin has anger issues, fair enough. Raven needs to learn to accept her powers. Starfire just doesn't know who she is, and... Who am I missing? Beast Boy. It's actually just quite fun, really. Um, I think this... Maybe it's some, maybe it's because these characters are similar in age to, to us, but this just feels more more identifiable for me. And I suppose in, from our coming out, because we don't really know anything about these characters because we're not that familiar with the backstories, whereas the true. Titans are very familiar, so you know what you're going to get and you know what to expect. True, that is very true. With this lot, it's almost like we're kind of... It is new, and it is going yeah. on a journey with them. Let's talk about the flatulent donkey for a minute, because I just like to be able to mention that there's a flatulent donkey. He wasn't flatulent on this episode. No, well, I suppose it was at the end. He appeared very well in CGI towards the end. I thought that was a very good representation of a donkey. <laughs> that sounds wrong. Uh, it is rendered very well, although you know it's CGI because it's you know spitting people out of its mouth. I just thought it was really well done. It didn't look particularly cheap or anything. It just... I just love that they can make an entire episode out of turning a donkey into a door and having a donkey with a keyhole in it being a donkey that farts out the word the mind is the limit. And then pops at the end. And then pops at the end in quite a gruesome manner, I might add. Yes. It really was quite gruesome. It was, especially when you got to see Negative Man bandages being all red. <laughs> yeah. And covered and, in donkey goop. And Rita covered in donkey goop as well. Anything that you can think of that we're missing from the story of this one? That we've not touched on. So the pencil is looking ah, back to the Jane. Painting. The painting yeah. at the end. Okay, so there's a, there's a lot to Jane in this episode. She's quite complex. Uh, the one that threw the words was weird as well. I need to figure out who she is and see where that comes from in the comics. Mm. The one who speaks silver words that she then threw. I guess that's an interesting 
sort of analogy for her words being cutting. Yeah, or very sharp tongue. So that one that I was doing the quite dodgy impression of before does just reappear out from the donkey and does says, dead in his arms, dead in his arms, dead in his arms. And as you then pointed out when we were watching this the second time, she then painted a picture which had what appeared to be the whole cast of the show dead with someone who looked like, I think, uh, Victor's dad dead in his arms. Yeah, so I had, what, Cyborg and his fool. Cyborg was standing there holding somebody in his arms and everyone else is lying on the ground. So it seems to be foreshadowing that at some point everyone will die. Which is a possibility, because that's what happened in the original series with the character group. So they killed them all off and we got a whole new Doom Patrol. As we learnt last time when we were learning about the comics, that they did all die. Could be. Maybe this series will have a revolving door of characters. Do you have anything else that stands out to you that you think we need to cover for this episode? I'm aware we've sort of done that slightly all over the place compared to how we talked about the first episode. Might have to structure ourselves a bit better in future. Yeah, sorry, listeners, we're just a little off the place today, aren't we? <laughs> um, so the excitement. No, I mean, I think so, what, an overall good second episode. We've got to see more character development. We're getting to learn more about the complex nature of these characters and how complex they really are. And then we've got the introduction of Cyborg again, who is clearly going to have a lot more dynamics between him and his dad. What are the true nature of his origins and where is that going to go next and he's kind of grown into this sort of leadership role for the Doom Patrol. So is this going to then be a stepping stone for him coming into the Titans and then going on yeah, to the Justice League? And then we've got the whole other heap of stuff of where is Dr. Calder? Yeah, he's not in this episode very much. Neither is Mr. Nobody. I think we only see him right at the beginning and right at the end. But his presence is felt because he's Obviously narrated. the whole episode. Yeah. Uh, okay, so favourite character in this episode? Probably Cyborg. Yeah, same for me. Uh, followed by Negative Man. Yeah, there, there is. He's definitely the front runner of the, the four that were introduced in the last episode for me. Favorite scene? So everything inside the donkey. So we're getting to explore the darker parts of Rita. What's going on with the baby? Seeing her sort of wanting to be a star but having this hidden secret, and seeing all the dilemmas between Negative Man and the plane. I, I quite enjoyed that. Yeah, I think for me it'd be the the Rita scene inside the the donkey just it really opened up her character quite a lot which was which was nice to see because it felt of all of them she was probably the most one-sided in the pilot even though there was a lot to her this added another layer of of angst i guess to her and it's something that we need to explore in the future yeah definitely that leads me on to one interesting point that i i don't think i raised it before and i definitely didn't want to say this to you beforehand because i thought i'd see how you were on the spot thinking about this one but how do you feel when you know that we're learning everything about these characters from the point of view of the villain? Yeah, it's interesting. I quite like that, actually, because it's a very different take. It's something we've never really how seen How might before. you feel about them if it was, say, from the Chief's point of view? At this point, everything that you know about these characters and everything that you're being told about these characters is coming from the point of view of the villain and his perspective, because Niall says it to him in the bus before they disappear into the hole. It's... He says, you know, you don't control this story. Yes, it's not your story, but really... So, I mean, so from a villain point of view, he's shown us the worst aspects of these characters. Yeah. We're seeing the worst parts of them, but we still want to see more of them. Whereas if it was the Chief, it would be more of a positive spin about how horrible and bad their lives are, but look at what they can become. 
True. Yeah. Not look at how rubbish they are and they can be superheroes. It's an interesting perspective and I hadn't really thought about it. I don't know what made me think about it, actually. It just, it just suddenly made me realise that our whole perspective of this world and these characters is completely being controlled by the villain, which is absolutely unique, which the show is in general. Yeah, very well done. Alright, so 9 out of 10 from me for Donkey Patrol. Your scores, please. I'm going to go a 7.5. Oh, what's the halfy for? Just because I want to keep a higher score for later on in the series. It's only episode 2. Okay. I don't want to set the bar too high for them. Okay. Well, thank you again for listening, Super Friends. We'll be back next week with the third episode of Doom Patrol, which is called Puppet Patrol. This one's going to see our heroes venture off to Paraguay to try and find the Nazi scientist who turned Mr. Nobody into the weirdo creature that he is now. So we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.